if you will, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to welcome those who are watching online as well. It's good to be together and to join together in His Word. So today is Palm Sunday. This is not going to be a Palm Sunday sermon. However, when we think of Palm Sunday, as Ken just mentioned, it is a day when there is this odd contrast going on. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. People are are laying down palms and their cloaks in front of Jesus, and they're hailing Him as the King and saying, Hosanna. And yet building underneath all of that is a rising hatred for Jesus. And the religious leaders are actually in process of, of fomenting a hatred against Jesus, leading to his arrest, uh, a complete fraud of a trial, and then them stirring up some element of crowd in Jerusalem to cry out, crucify him, and to choose Barabbas over Jesus Christ. So that is the toxic atmosphere that is in the Palm Sunday, but will not be revealed fully until Thursday. And where we are now in the book of 2 Corinthians is that that toxic spirit and attitude of, of hatred against Jesus still remains. Most of the leaders that had Jesus crucified are still in leadership at Corinth. And so, and many of those who cried out, crucify him, are still in Jerusalem. And so the church in Jerusalem is ostracized socially. They are, they are on the outskirts. Even friends and, and family don't want to be associated with those who publicly name the name of Jesus Christ. Getting a job is difficult for them. And so in that toxicity, there is a great deal of suffering and poverty going on in Jerusalem. And towards that end, in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is assembling a collection, an offering to relieve the suffering of the believers in Jerusalem. And he starts in Greece, in the two regions of Macedonia and Achaia. And the Corinthians, who are in Achaia, have pledged almost a year ago to give incredibly generously to this work for, this offering for Jerusalem. And so now the time has come for them to collect the money. They took pledges, they gave them time to begin to assemble the money, and now it's time for Paul, Titus, and a couple of brothers from Macedonia to go to to Corinth and collect the money that they pledged in faith generously. So let's begin reading in chapter 9, verse 1 where Paul writes, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you, to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So if you remember chapter 8, he's boasting about the Macedonians to the Corinthians. Now what he's saying is, I boasted to the Macedonians about you. Verse 3. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, 
If some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you, ahead to you, and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So here, what we see is the the Corinthians' generosity in pledging has stirred up a like-minded generosity in Macedonia. But Paul is concerned that over the past year, the enthusiasm of the Corinthians has waned. And he doesn't want the embarrassment of of some Macedonian brothers going, expecting this generous offering from Corinth that they've pledged and then finding they're not ready to fulfill what they promised. And so he sends a team of brothers ahead to make sure they're prepared for what they promised. So that is really the backstory of what's going on here. But in verse 6, Paul begins to underline the principle and the power of generosity, not just in the lives of the Corinthians, but in every believer's life. Let's read verse 6 together and then let's pray. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh Father, we thank You for all that uh, this stirs in my heart, I pray in our hearts as we go through this message this morning. Because there's some powerful and wonderful truth here for us. Exciting truth. And so, Father, we just pray now, Holy Spirit, that You will speak, Lord. We give You this time. We give You this time to take Your Word and to apply it. Convicting us, encouraging us, stirring us, and drawing us near to your heart. And it's in our Savior Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Several years ago for my birthday, Janice uh, got Jared, Matthew, and I a tee-off at a golf course for us to go and play nine holes. And we had a wonderful day. It was a great day of fun and just being together. And not a lot of great golf. But that's beside the point. Uh, somebody once said golf is a good walk ruined. But uh, we got to the sixth hole and something kind of odd happened. Uh, we got to the sixth hole. We're looking at the map. We're trying to figure out where does this course go? Where is the fairway? And we cannot figure out the fairway. I mean, sometimes if you've ever played golf, sometimes it is a little tricky to figure out. But this one really had us stumped. As you're standing on the tees, we're looking out and there's, there's like trees in front of us, just maybe 50 yards ahead. Um, and, and then, so we think, well, the fairway must sweep to the right, but it, that doesn't even look right. It's just odd looking. And then far in the distance, I could see a gas station. So it just seemed, <laughs> it seemed odd. But uh, we all, you know, we, uh, we teed off and um, went, we started to retrieve our balls. And, and then I hear Jared, who's still looking at the map, says, hey guys, we're going the wrong direction. We teed off in the wrong direction. 
So we retrieved our balls. We went back to the tee. We turned around. And uh, hey, that's it. Okay, now we see the fairway. I don't know why. I know there's probably several sermons in that illustration. <laughs> but uh, what we were simply hoping is that nobody had seen what we had just done. You know, when we talk about generosity, I think a lot of times we are, we are pointed in 180 degrees wrong direction. We feel things when we hear about generosity. Sometimes churches... Sometimes people do this on purpose, but we feel pressure. We feel guilt. You know, we, we think in terms of I ought to and I need to, whatever it is, give more of this, give more of that. Maybe, maybe we're afraid that God is going to ask us to give more than we're really able to, or at least more than we want to, uh, and then he's going to leave us deprived in the name of generosity. When we look at the Bible, the map of the Bible, we see that generosity takes us in really 180 degrees opposite direction. Generosity doesn't lead us to a smaller, poorer, deprived life. Generosity is actually a powerful principle to lead us to a bigger and richer life. And to get this across, Paul uses the analogy of farming. A farmer who sows a little will reap a little. A farmer who sows a lot will reap a lot. A farmer does not enlarge his farm by keeping his seed. He enlarges his farm by sowing his seed. And Paul applies that principle to our lives. If we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. If we sow generously, we reap generously. And so the Holy Spirit through Paul gives us a map for a bigger, richer life. A life marked by sowing generously. But there's another way we can read the map wrong and go in the wrong direction. At the same time, we're sowing a lot. Because Paul points out, generosity isn't just about how much we sow. It's about our attitude when we sow. Generosity is more than sowing. It's sowing willingly, even cheerfully. Not because we have to, not because we're obligated, not because we're pressured, but because we want to. Verse 7, each one, Paul goes on to write, must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever had somebody offer to give you something, but you can tell their heart's not in it? You can tell they don't really want you to take them up on it. Has that, if that's ever happened to you. Or they offer to give you something, but it feels like there's strings attached. You know, whether it's you're going to owe me, or you know, I begrudge this, but I'll give it to you, or whatever it is. Have you ever had anybody offer to give you something like that? I don't know about you, but I would rather do without. I really would. I would, I would have to be in desperate straits to accept that I would rather do without than accept somebody offering to do something or give something where they don't want to. They begrudge it. They're not 
It's, it's not something they want to do. Or there's strings attached to it. Generosity means cheerfully. No strings attached. The joy is in the giving. And God loves that. He loves that. Generosity isn't just giving. It's giving happily, cheerfully. So last week I made the statement, if we want to live large, we have to live generously. Paul maps that out in some detail in this chapter. And so the title of this sermon is Living Larger by Sowing Generously. And I think it's a timely message for us because after a year of COVID lockdown, with all the restrictions and the reductions that it has brought to our lives, there is a sense where COVID shrank our lives, right? It shrank our lives in so many ways. And it shrank our church opportunities to reach out. Think of we were going to have a marriage retreat. Uh, the pig roast didn't happen. Different ways we wanted to reach out and build. Being together in different contexts. It shrank. And so as things begin to get back to a little bit more normal. Here's what I want to ask of us. That we believe God to enlarge and expand our lives and our opportunities for generosity, kingdom generosity, in the year to come. And so I want to share with you from this passage three ways that sowing generously leads us to a larger life. Number one, sowing generously leads us to a larger faith. Read with me verses 8 and 9. And God is able, God is able, to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Remember last week we saw in chapter 8, verse 1, that generosity is a grace of God in our lives. Let me read it again, verse 1 and 2. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth, not of money, Paul says, a wealth of generosity on their part. Now here's what we know from verse 1. This is the grace of God. Generosity isn't the Macedonians' work for God. It's the work of God in them. God is a generous God. Amen? God is a generous God. God is not stingy. He is an incredibly generous God. And His generous grace at work in them is producing generosity in them. Listen to the generous portions God meets out in verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 8. And God is able... This is 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you 
so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do you hear the generosity in that verse? God makes all grace. Not, not a little grace. Not some grace. All grace. But that's not even big enough. He makes not just all grace. He makes all grace abounding. It's generous. God is a generous God. He makes all grace abound to us so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, if you hear a stingy like, boy, I wonder if that's going to be enough, you're not listening to the verse. I mean, Paul is trying to make it really clear. God gives all grace abounding so that you have all sufficiency at all times in every way. For what? So that we are well taken care of? Well, certainly that's there. But that isn't the reason he points to. So that you may abound in every good work. The generosity that God gives to us is to produce Good works. That we abound in good works. That we produce generosity in us. God doesn't give us grace in order to hoard it. God gives us grace so we can give it away through good works. And again, I think we've talked enough that I don't have to differentiate between saving grace and the, the sanctifying working of grace in our daily lives as Christians. We do not do good works to be saved. But we are saved good works which God has prepared in advance for us to walk in I love it you know we're not going to spend a lot of time on this but he goes on to say that a part of God's righteousness is his care for the poor and for the needy for those who are hurting that's a part of God's righteousness that he distributes freely And He wants to give us grace to pass that same generosity on. But this is where faith, this is where faith comes in. Fear has a way of making us clutch what we have. Afraid that we're going to lose it. Faith opens our hands so that we give away freely. Not afraid of losing what we have. Because we know that the more generously we sow, the more generous God will be in making all grace abound to us. Now we saw last week very briefly that Paul outlines wisdom. He outlines care. So this is not meant to lead us down foolish presumption. Uh, This is not going to lead to a sermon where you give more than you have, and God will, you know, use wisdom. What Paul is talking about here is not throwing, you know, wisdom to the, to the wind. What he's talking about is a heart attitude of generosity where fear has us forward and, gra- and faith has us so. And listen, this includes money, but this is not just all about money. It's not just all about money. We can sow our time generously. 
We can sow our abilities and gifts generously. We can sow love generously. We can sow friendship generously. Pausing on that for a moment, Proverbs 18.24 says, A man who has friends must show himself, must himself be friendly. In other words, we need to sow friendship if we're going to reap friendships or friends. So, as we, if we want friends, the, the thing we shouldn't be saying is, I don't have any friends. No one's my friend. What we should be looking to do is be a friend to others. Completely reverse. Instead of, I want, why am I not getting? We give. And as we sow friendliness and friendship, we reap. We reap. Even within friendship. And I don't know why the Lord had me kind of pause on this, but it's probably for somebody. But even as we reap friendship, there can still be a uh, or, or so friendship. There can be within friendship a selfishness and a stinginess. Sometimes friends can get so close to each other, they don't want any other friends to enter that circle. They don't want to let anybody new in. And, and that can happen in churches too. That can happen in churches. You know what a clique is? A clique is a friendship that doesn't want to let anybody new in. Rather than sowing friendship, cliques are hoarding friendship. You're my friend. I'm your friend. All I want is to be with you. I don't want any, I don't want any new friends to enter this thing. It's hoarding friendship rather than sowing friendship. When a church does that, here's what a new person coming into the church sees. They see friends. They see friendship. But they're on the outside looking in. Now, I'm grateful to say that's not what I see here at Grace Community Church. I am so thankful uh, that over the years, consistently, I have watched you time and again freely and generously offer welcome, and, and we're so glad you're here and getting to know new people. Um, all I want to say is this, don't ever stop, church. Don't ever stop. You're not going to lose your friends because you don't run right away to your friends the same people Sunday after Sunday run to the new person. So friendliness, so welcome. God will bless that. And I realize for some, that's easier than for others, but take a step out and do it. And I thank you for doing that. Generosity. When we sow friendship, we reap friendship. We make new friends. All of this, and we could say the same thing. We could talk about money. We could talk about time. We could talk about... But let's put it under this umbrella. Life. Life. If we hoard life, we lose it. Jesus said you seek to save your life, you lose it. You give your life away, you find it. And this takes faith. Because here's what a farmer... When a farmer is sowing, all they see is seed. They could eat that seed. They could live off that seed. But they don't see anything beyond seed. Well, actually, they do. They're not looking at the seed. As they put it in the ground, they're seeing something that can't yet be seen. They're seeing a harvest. They're seeing fields full of crops. They're seeing it by faith. I put this in. We take care of it. And we will have a harvest to reap 
Faith is seeing the unseen. Believing if he sows, he will reap. And in that way, sowing generously is an act of faith. Believing God will do and multiply and bless what we sow and more than we sow. I want to just say, you know, faith is believing God for bigger and better than anything we could do. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want what I can do. I don't want my life. I don't want this church. I, don't, I want more than what I can do. Don't you want more than what you can do? I hope we do. We want what God alone can do. We want to see what God alone can do. And sowing generously is one of the ways we can get out of the safe boat of the everything has to be practical, everything has to be planned, and be careful. We can get out of that safe boat and, and, and walk on the water trusting Jesus Christ. And, and, and I know I'm mixing biblical metaphors there, but you know what I mean. We want more than what we can do. We need more than what we can do. Sowing is one of the ways, an act of faith, to see God do what God can do. We reap a larger faith. We also, secondly, reap a larger harvest. Look with me at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. We know from the book of Galatians chapter 6 that what we sow we will reap. Which means everyone reaps a harvest. What this tells us, this verse, is that our harvest is bigger and better when we live a life sowing generously rather than sowing selfishly. There are two things we can do with seed. We can eat it or we can sow it. God says if you sow seed... I will give you more. And I'll provide the bread that you need. More than that, God says, I will increase the harvest of your righteousness. Everyone reaps a harvest in their lives. Everyone is sowing. That's what Galatians 6 says. Everybody's sowing. Sadly, some reap a harvest of regret. Some reap a harvest of sorrow. Of lost opportunity. Of love never risked. Friendships never formed. I think a big part of that regret will be that they had the seed all the time. They had that seed all the time. They had the potential for kingdom harvest and it was massive. But they, or we, or I, didn't sow it. Or didn't sow it generously. Here's one more thing about this principle of sowing. And this takes us back to faith. We sow now, we reap later. We sow now, we reap later. Sometimes we sow and sow and sow. And it doesn't seem like we're reaping. For all our sowing. Sometimes we sow, and where we sow, it doesn't, there is no harvest there. There's crop failure there. Many parents have sown love and patience and biblical instruction into the lives of their children, only to watch their children go 
walk away from the Lord. At least for a time. And I want to just encourage us. Trust God. Don't trust, hey, I sowed that seed and I'm not seeing a a harvest right away. Trust God. Believe in God. Have faith in God. Pray to God. He who supplies seed to the sower will increase the harvest of your righteousness. He will. Not we will. He will. Someone might think, well, I really, I don't even have much to sow. I don't have much time. I don't have much money. I don't have, I don't have any skills. I really don't have much to sow. I want to remind you of something we looked at last week. When God measures generosity, He doesn't pull the rich out and show them as examples. He pulls the very poor out who have very little to, to sow, but they sow it generously. That's how God measures generosity. The Macedonians are great in their severe poverty, extreme poverty, and overflowing joy. Generosity. Listen, if you are one who thinks, I don't have a lot, I don't have, I can't, I don't have a lot of this, I don't have a lot of that, I don't have a lot of anything, I just want to say, don't let that sideline you. Do not let that sideline you. You could well be the one who makes the biggest impact in the kingdom because you sow what little you have. It might be your time, it might be your gift, it might be some money, it might be whatever it is. Whatever it is. Irish statesman Edmund Burke pointed out, nobody made a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could only do a little. It's a big mistake. So what you have, God will supply more. Third thing, we sow, we reap a larger glory. Let's read verses 11 through 15 here. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. He's talking about that Jerusalem offering here. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Again, I wish we had time to just go through this like verse by verse, but I want to point out a theological truth. At least I'm, I'm convinced this is a theological truth. We cannot add to God's glory. We can't add to God's glory. We can't. God is perfectly, infinitely glorious and has been and will be from everlasting to everlasting. He is perfect. No one, nothing adds to His perfections. No one makes Him better. No one makes God more glorious. He is infinitely glorious. And there's nothing we can do to add to His glory. When Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that God glorify Him with the glory He had before the creation, Jesus does not pray that the disciples will add 
to His glory. He prays that the disciples will see His glory. Verse, 17, or verse 24 of chapter 17 in the Gospel of John. Father, I want those You have given Me to be with Me where I am, it's the heart of our Lord, and to see My glory. The glory You have given Me because You loved Me before the creation of the world. We don't add to God's glory, but we can have a harvest of helping people see the glory of God as we sow into people's lives. That's what Paul is saying. You're gonna, you're gonna, this is going to abound to thanksgiving to God and people glorifying God because of your gospel generosity. By way of analogy, we cannot make the sun any hotter or brighter. There's nothing you're going to do to make the sun brighter or hotter. But we are able to get take people out of a dark, damp basement up to the fresh air and say, here is the sun. Enjoy it. Bask in it. In that way, we can help people see the glory of God. How awesome is that? I want to close by just wanting our hearts to read the map correctly of Scripture here. The, the saddest harvest, when we look at the map of our lives and we're like, which way do I go? What gets me to the goal? What gets me to whatever life is about? What gets me there? The, the saddest harvest is a life that's all about us. It really is. It's the saddest harvest. And I say that as a, um, you know, selfish person. But the saddest harvest is a life that is lived for oneself. And that's where the sinful map in our heart wants to take us. Pride can make that feel fulfilling for a time. I'm living for myself, and that feels fulfilling for a time. But in the end, it's empty. In the end, it's glory, but it's vain glory. It's empty glory. It feels glorious for a time, and then it rots. And we realize how empty it is. The harvest of righteousness is seeing that it's really all about God. Everything is about God. Our joy, our hope, our meaning, our life comes from God and is found in God. Jesus said this is eternal life, to know God the Father and Jesus His Son. That's eternal life. Eternal life isn't going somewhere. It's knowing God and Jesus His Son. And that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came so generously over 2,000 years ago. That's why Jesus the king rode into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. It wasn't to take up his throne and rule as king. It was to take up his cross and die for us. That we might be given eternal life. That we might be forgiven. That we might be restored to God in friendship. Adopted as children. Thanks be to God, Paul says, for his inexperience. I'm adding a word, generous. Yeah. Inexpressibly generous.
gift. That's why Jesus came. That's why when we look at Jesus riding into Jerusalem, being hailed as a king by the same people who will be shouting, crucify him. When we look at that cross, we see our king. And we don't see a king who was very weak for a time, but is powerful. We see a king who showed his might and showed his love on that cross. Generously pouring out his life for our sins. Generously giving his life up that we might live forever in the presence of God. Thanks be to God for his inexpressibly generous gift. I want to ask the band to come back up. Our glory, the larger glory we can live for, is to glorify God. What a joy that we can be used in some small way to help people see Him and glorify God. That's the biggest life we can possibly live. As the grace of God enables us to sow, to live larger by sowing generously. So, Uh, I'm going to come back in a minute. I want to share a few very introductory thoughts to some ways we can apply this. But let's provoke one another, okay? Would you provoke me? Can I provoke you? Maybe you say, you already do, actually. Let's provoke one another to love and good works and sowing generously. And so let's sing about the one who gives the grace to do that. Our generous King. Let's stand together and sing. I'm really excited to see us in in the coming year and years to enlarge together, to work together to enlarge the harvest of righteousness, the harvest God has for us. And so we'll be introducing uh, uh, the idea of impact teams. Uh, Some already exist. Some will be new. But together, we want to make an impact. Amen for the kingdom? Don't we? We want to make it. We don't want to just buy time, you know. We want to make an impact for the kingdom. So just like Paul sent some brothers ahead to prepare them to be generous, I want to share this with you ahead of time to just say, be thinking generously about how you can give your time, your gifts, your skills, your service to the kingdom of God, so that together we take ownership, sowing seeds to see God. God. Help us abound in every good work. And then, I just want to encourage you, I mean, there's just do what God puts in your heart and just do it. But the thing we got to break in our hearts, and I'm talking to myself, is that kind of, I, I don't have, I don't want to, I just, you know, and let's say, no, Lord, I want to be in the game. I want to do, I know I have to do within the realms of where my life is at and what I'm able to do without guilt, without pressure, without any of those things. But I do want to have my heart prepared to be a part of the impact for the kingdom. Father, we pray this. We ask You for Your guidance and leading together. We know that no one of us could do what all of us can do together by the grace of God. Help our hearts to, in faith, so generously. And we'll give You all the glory, for indeed it belongs to You. In the name of our beautiful and loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Palm Sunday. Don't forget Thrivers, Tuesday night, 615. And everybody invited, hope you can join us for a beautiful Good Friday service, meditating on what our Lord did for us on the cross. God bless.